2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 12. The Bible says, And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which she had brought unto the king. So she turned and went away to her own land, she and her servants. Verse 13, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred, three score, and six talents of gold. So in one year's time, each year, he would get 666 talents of gold, which basically equivalates, uh, equip, equip, I can't even say the word. It equals 25 tons of gold each year. So he would get about 25 tons of gold in each year. And now this doesn't count what came in through traders and merchants uh, from their sales. And all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon, uh, because he had all this gold, he decided to do something uh, decorative uh, with them. And he made shields. He made shields out of gold. He made 200 targets or shields of beaten gold. Uh, each one was 600 shekels of beaten gold went to one target. That is basically 200 shields made out of gold, each one weighing 15 or 30 pounds. Each one weighing 30 pounds. So a shield of gold, 200 of them, each one weighing 30 pounds. Verse 16. And then he also made, after those, six, uh, those, those 200 targets, he made another 300 targets or shields that he made of beaten gold. And they were each consisting of 300 shekels of gold, which basically these were smaller. There were 300 of them. Each of them weighed 15 pounds of gold, 15 pounds of gold each of them. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Verse 17. Moreover, the king made a great throne. And you know what he made the throne out of? Ivory. He made it out of ivory. And he overlaid the ivory with pure gold because the ivory wasn't just nice enough. So he took one of the most expensive products you could get your hands on and then overlaid it with gold. And then that was his throne. And then he had six steps that led up to his throne with a footstool made of gold. You guessed it. This was fastened to the throne and stays on each side of the sitting place. There were two lions standing by the stays. There were two golden images of lions on either side of the stay or the throne. And then there were 12 lions that stood there on the side and on the other on the six steps. So there was two golden lions on each of the six steps that led up to his throne. There was not the like made in any kingdom. Nowhere in any kingdom was a throne that compared to this throne. Verse 20. And all the drinking vessels, all the cups of King Solomon, can you guess what they were made out of? That's right, gold. If you're going to get that many tons of gold each year, you've got to do something with it. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. None of them, the Bible says, were silver. You know why? Because silver was almost worthless because there was so much of it. It was like gravel. I've come to preach to you today on this subject. God is rich. God is rich. Maybe I should add a word to it. God is really rich. God is really rich. 
Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us from this text. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the privilege of coming together in this place. Lord, we do not want to take our time here together for granted. Lord, the ability to not only gather together, but to gather in your name and that your presence would grace us here in the very middle of us. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for our worship team that led us in worship. And now, Lord, our ears and our hearts are ready and open to hear the word of the Lord. Help me as the messenger to speak as your spirit would lead me. Lord, let me speak your word and not my own. And I believe that today the church will grow stronger, souls will be saved, lives will be changed because of you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Before we're seated, can we give the Lord one more offering of praise with our hands, our voices, from our hearts. Give them everything you got. Come on, someone give them everything that you got. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. You are an awesome God. You are worthy of the glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, look at someone and say, God is really rich. If you really believe it, you could even tell them God is really, really rich. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I know that maybe some of you, you heard me read the text, you read it for yourself, and we read about a king who was absolutely um, some might put it this way, disgustingly filthy rich. Um, and you might be saying, well, your title doesn't really quite make sense with the text we just read because we were reading about King Solomon. Um, but who do you think made the gold to begin with that he collected? But we'll get that later. You see, wealth, wealth or riches uh, is a funny thing. Wealth is a funny thing. You see, because it's relative. What terms or conditions or measure of possessions might define rich or wealthy here in the United States is not necessarily the standard in another part of the world. The reality is, is that wealth or to be characterized as one who is rich. In this world, it really is a moving target. It's a moving target. Because what qualified or characterized a person as being wealthy, let's say 100 years ago, or even just 50 years ago, is not the same today. It changes with the global economy, it changes with the landscape, it changes with men's ideas and opinions of what is wealthy, what is not. The fact that my title has the word rich in it, that God is rich, my title probably attracts some sort of opinion or feelings from each of you. For some of you, maybe it attracts you. Rich, I, you know, I'd like to be rich. I want to hear about how God is rich. Tell me more. Some of you, maybe it offends you. The thought or the idea of talking about the wealthy or the rich is, 
is really something that you don't have any time for, and it's almost offensive. Wealth is one of those things that those who seemingly have it never have enough of it. They're always looking just up ahead, up the proverbial food chain at those who might have more than them. But yet I've even met people that perhaps fall below what a country might call the poverty line, yet they live as though they have everything that they could ever want. I've even met my share of Christians that have fallen into a trap. Stay with me today. I have met my share of Christians that have fallen into a trap where they believe that money or wealth or riches is evil. The primary verse that perhaps is the source of much confusion on this subject is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where the Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Which I've always thought, when reading that, really? Now I know that some people, they confuse it, and they, all they hear is money and evil. And they're like, that's right, money's evil. The Bible says the love of money is evil, but when I read that text, I, I find it interesting, intriguing, that, I mean, really? All evil? Every evil attitude, every evil action has its origin in the love of money. Now before we move on, because I did bring this verse up while speaking on this subject, it would be wise to just take just a moment and let me read the surrounding verses on either side of this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world. When you showed up, you didn't bring anything with you. And guess what? Paul tells Timothy, when you leave, it's certain. You ain't taking anything with you. You're going to leave the same way you came. You brought nothing, you're going to take nothing. So he says with that in mind, if you have food and clothing, there should be a contentment in your heart. He goes on to say in verse 9, but they that will be, everyone say will be, they that will be rich, implying that they are not rich yet, but they want to be. They that will be rich, those that make their goal rich, wealthy, will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That sounds bad. He says, if your goal is wealth, if your goal is riches, if the love of money is what wakes you up in the morning and drives you to work and drives you through life, you're going to have a hard road to travel that's going to be filled with pitfalls and temptations, and you are going to fall into destruction and perdition. He says, listen, from experience, he says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted or desired that, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through, many, uh, through with many sorrows. Paul, as well as I, am saying this in that verse. I've lived long enough 
to see more than a few believers fall prey to this sad, sad pattern where they go after riches, where they make their target and their goal wealth and riches, and they have erred from the faith. And so Paul, as well as I, stand before you today and say, O man of God, O woman of God, flee these things, run from these things, and follow after righteousness, follow after godliness, follow after faith, follow after love, patience, and meekness. Follow after those things. If you're going to follow something, don't follow money. I read a prayer recently that was in response. It was the writer's response to reading the story in the Gospels about the man who came very eagerly to Jesus and told Jesus, Jesus, as he knelt before him, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. The man said, I've done that from my youth up. What else? What else do I need to do? He was ready. Jesus said, okay, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. He had an invitation to follow Jesus. He could have been one of the posse. He could have been one of the disciples. But of course, you know the story. Many of you know the story. The Bible says because the man had great possessions, because he was rich, he walked away filled with sorrow in his heart and chose not to follow Jesus. And so in response to that story, one person wrote this prayer. Dear Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler. And he obviously chose wrong. But it has me thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car, have modern surgery, turn on a light, buy pen, uh, penicillin, watch streaming videos, mow a lawn, send a text, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress or Tempur-Pedic or talk on the phone. He couldn't do any of these. And so the writer said, dear Lord, if he was rich, what am I? Our adult Sunday school lessons have continued to air on our podcast and I hope that you're taking advantage of them. And one of the lessons in this current series that closes out actually in the final lesson today, my wife taught. In one of the lessons, she referenced a parable that's found in Matthew chapter 18. And in that parable, there was a king who had his accountant look up all of the borrowers that had lent from him and found out that there was this guy that owed him approximately um, $10 million. That's a lot of money. I mean, I don't know how much you've ever borrowed before, but I don't think that my credit score is quite to that level where I could borrow $10 million. This man who had borrowed $10 million was called into account you know, many of you know the story. He couldn't pay it. He, I mean, he, there's just no way he could pay it. Basically, the king said, okay, we're going to sell what you do have, and we're going to send you to debtor's prison, and we'll just get sweat equ equity out of you. We're going to make you work for it the rest of your life. And the man begged the king, 
begged the king for mercy. For $10 million debt. And the king, the Bible says, forgave him the debt. Of course, you know, the other part of the story is this same man that was just forgiven a debt of $10 million, he finds someone that owed him money. And basically, it's equal to about $2,000. And he goes and he tells the man to pay him back, and the man says, I can't. He basically says the same thing that the man said to the king, and the king forgave him, says the same thing to the man. And the man takes him by the throat and then throws him into prison and starts selling the stuff that he has. Now, in this parable, long before the adult Sunday school lesson that my wife taught that included this parable, I was actually thinking about this parable. And usually, Sister Perlene, I think about the, the, the borrowers. I think about the man who borrowed that much money. I think about how he must have felt. I think about how he must have felt absolutely just, just miserable. Like, how am I ever going to pay this back? How in the world am I ever going to pay the king back? And then the feelings that must have came over him when he was forgiven the debt of $10 million. And I would maybe even think about how gracious it was for the king to forgive the man of $10 million. And how ungrateful it was for the man who was forgiven $10 million to harshly handle the man who owed him 2000 but you know what I haven't thought, Sister Leslie? I haven't thought much about the king who was the lender. Think about this. The king who was the lender lent someone $10 million. To lend someone that amount of money tells me a few things. It tells me first and foremost that he must have some level of trust in the person who is applying for the loan. There must be some relationship between him and the borrower. But you know what it tells me, and the Lord spoke and impressed this on my heart? It speaks of the wealth of the king. That the king had the assets and the ability to loan out $10 million Sure, he was expecting it to return, and perhaps with interest, but he had it to give. How rich was the king? But furthermore, it was as though the Lord continued to press the matter in my spirit, and he said to me, basically, how rich must the king have been to lend out $10 million? But furthermore than that, how rich must he have been to forgive the debt entirely? And to say, you know what, I'm not even going to miss it. How rich was that king? The richest king that we find in biblical history to ever rule Israel is Solomon that we read about. And ever since one of the first times I read about Solomon's throne, I've been so intrigued. I've even talked to some of you about this, and we've talked about the extravagance of this throne that Solomon had that was decorated with ivory, overlaid with gold. Ten grand steps that came up to the throne, all of gold. And if that wasn't enough, 
he had images of lions on either side of the throne, and then two on each of the six steps. Gold, extravagance. I gotta be honest, it's not really my taste, but hey. And when I looked at this passage recently, I, I thought of this. The extravagance that this throne was constructed with is absurd. It's crazy. It's just ridiculous. The man doesn't know what to do with all the money he has. But I would have, the measure of a king's greatness in the day and age of the, the text that we read, the measure of a king's greatness is often expressed in the grandeur of his throne. Anytime any foreign ruler, magistrate, governor, any person in his kingdom, any servant would ever approach the king, they saw this absolute monstrosity of extravagant wealth that he sat upon. And his greatness was put on display by the visible symbol of the throne. Now let me make a connection here. Scripture states that heaven is God's throne and that the earth is his footstool. We're talking about the universe. That's his throne. You want to talk about wealthy Solomon had nothing on our creator. If Solomon had golden steps and golden lions and ivory overlaid with gold, think now of the throne that God has. You see, even the best of scientists and astronomers cannot find the end of the universe. There are literally millions of galaxies, and we occupy a small, tiny, minuscule space in one galaxy among innumerable galaxies that make up the universe. And the Bible says, that's God's throne. Forget 12 lions. Let's talk about 12 billion galaxies. God is extravagantly rich. Furthermore, it states that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You see, in the day and time in which Isaiah wrote that passage, you see the king's greatness was displayed in his throne. But was, what was not captured by the greatness or grandeur of his throne was captured in his robe and the length of the robe. Because that robe would show every territory that he had taken over that has become part of his kingdom. And Isaiah says, when I saw our Lord, I saw him high and lifted up. Forget about 12, six steps or 12 steps. Our God has 12 billion galaxies. But what filled the throne room was his train that says, I've conquered every kingdom. I have all power in heaven and in earth and all power that is under the earth. I'm talking about our God who is rich. Oh, praise God. Praise God. But our God is not flesh and blood. Yes, he was manifest in flesh. And we see him in the face of Jesus Christ. But John 4 tells us that God is a spirit. 
that has not flesh and bones, it says in the end of Luke. So what throne or what throne room can contain him? There is none. There is none that we can build large enough. Though Solomon tried with all of his wealth and with all of his wisdom to build a temple for the Lord that was beautiful and magnificent. If you read in the same text, you can read about the throne of Solomon, but you could also read about the temple that he built. It's absolutely mind-blowing what Solomon built for the temple of the Lord. But get this. God is a spirit. He cannot be contained by a, by a room, a building, a brick and mortar. And so the writer says in Psalm 22, verse 3, But thou art holy, O Lord, you who inhabits the praises of Israel, which literally means that God's throne is his people's praise. Watch this. We're talking about a rich God because we're paralleling him with a rich Solomon who had a great throne. You want to talk about great thrones? Listen, yes, the galaxies and the galaxies of galaxies are his throne, but more personally, when his people praise him, when his people lift up their voices and worship and clap their hands. Listen, look at the throne. I said look at the throne. When you see the throne, you see the greatness of our God. You see, the greatness of the king is expressed in the grandeur of his throne. So this makes sense. And it makes plain the reason for Psalm 145, verse 3, that says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Because our praise is an expression. It is a visible and audible symbol of the greatness of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 3, God is great, and he's greatly to be praised. Because he's great, he ought to be praised according to his greatness, according to his excellent riches. We ought to praise and give glory to God. Hallelujah. What am I saying here today? If we want to uh, uh, be in awe over Solomon's throne of pure gold and ivory, listen, what can we do for the throne of God when you truly give your heart and your spirit in worship and praise to God? What you're doing is you are outdoing Solomon's throne. And you say, listen, if you think that's something, just wait till you see what we're building as a throne for our God here in this place today. Just wait till you see what God is going to sit on when he takes residence in this room. Oh, praise God, praise God. The queen, the queen of Sheba, hears of Solomon's greatness. She comes to visit Solomon to see if what she heard is true. She comes with hard and difficult questions and probes his wisdom. But every question that she could come up with is answered by Solomon. She concludes her observations that the half had not been told, but that what she has witnessed with her own eyes and heard with her own ears in Solomon's presence exceeds the tales that have been told of Solomon's wealth and wisdom. Stay with me now. She came to Solomon like any good guest. She came with gifts. Just to warn you, if I'm ever invited, I want to bring something. If I show up with nothing, it's because I really feel like there's nothing I could bring, which is usually at the Vela's house. But if I, if I come, there is something, something that my mother and my father put in me from a child that you have to bring something. And the Queen of Sheba felt the same way. 
she had to bring something. She had heard about Solomon's wisdom and greatness. And so the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 9 that she came bringing Solomon a gift. And what it amounts to is over $1 million in gold. She could have came visit us. We're in a building project here. But she visited Solomon, and with her, she brought a little small gift, a million dollars in gold. And she also brought great quantities of spices of incomparable quality and many, many jewels also. Now listen to what it says next. I'm almost done. Listen to what it says next. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 12, the Bible says that King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba before she left, before her visit was over, before she went back home. Watch this. He gave to the queen whatever she asked for. And the Bible says this, that the gifts that she got were in greater value than the gifts that she brought. She came bearing gifts that were extravagant in value. She brought gifts to bless the king. But when the king left to return home, she didn't leave empty-handed. She left with more than what she brought. So when we go to see the king and we come with a blessing to give, you can pretty much count on it. The blessing that you get will be greater than the blessing that you gave. Oh, hallelujah. These past 24 hours that we have spent with the Lord in prayer and worship and in praise. These past 24 hours that the Lord is absolutely worthy of. How many knows that if we just continued every 24 hours, seven days a week in prayer, in praise, in giving, in worship, that we cannot reach that place where we have outgiven the Lord. But listen, as extravagant as our prayers and our praise and our fasting and our sacrifices and all that you have tithed and all that you have given and all that you have contributed to the Lord and his kingdom as extravagant as it might be can I tell you that you are bound and determined by the king's demand to leave more with more than what you brought you might come blessing the Lord but you will leave feeling more blessed than you were a blessing oh hallelujah hallelujah you see, what we do when we bring gifts, what we do is we build up his throne. But never, never forget that the throne that we build him only paves the place of extravagance that our God is worthy of. Our God is rich. Our God is powerful. Our God is worthy. And so what we bring to bless him, my friend, is only a pathway for the blessings of the Lord to come down right back upon us. Has anybody ever felt that way in your life? This God who has become our Savior is extravagantly wealthy. God is rich. We find statements scattered throughout the Bible that describe God's wealth 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. All the gold is his. All the silver is his. The deep places of the earth are his. All the animals, all the beasts of the field, they are his. Can I tell you that if you and I have a problem with wealth and being around nice things makes us feel uncomfortable, then I better brace myself for a lot of discomfort if I plan to move to heaven. You want to talk about a rich God? Let me tell you how rich God is. Revelation 21 verse 15, it says, The angel held in his hand a golden measuring stick. Golden tape measures in heaven. Stanley's not good enough here. Golden tape measures in heaven. Because he's going to measure the city and the gates and the walls. And so he started measuring. And he found that the city, New Jerusalem, which will be inhabited by the people of God and the Lamb of God himself. You know what? How big the city is? It's 1,500 square miles. 1,500 miles going that way, going that way, going that way. In every direction, 1,500 miles. Then he measured the thickness of the walls. And he found that the walls were 216 feet each. The city was made of pure, transparent gold. So pure, it's like glass. The walls were made of jasper. I'm talking about New Jerusalem. It was built on 12 layers or 12 foundations, and each layer is a precious stone. We find that the first layer is jasper, and the second is sapphire, and the third is chalcedony, and the fourth is emerald, and the fifth is sardonyx, and the sixth is sardis, and the seventh is chrysolite, and the eighth is beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysopras, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now watch this. And there's 12 gates of this 1,500 square mile city. And each gate is a single pearl. And the main street of the city is pure, transparent gold. I'm talking about a rich, rich God. I'm trying to encourage someone today to let you know that whatever problems you're facing, whatever shortfalls you have in your life, whatever you feel is not the ends are not meeting, you serve a God that is absolutely disgustingly wealthy, and He is your God. He is the captain of your salvation. He is on the throne. He is in charge. It causes now the words of Christ to ring true. When he says in Matthew 12, 42, that the queen of the south that we read about in 2 Chronicles, the queen of Sheba, shall rise up, Jesus says, she will rise up in judgment in that last day to condemn this generation. Because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon to see his riches. But Jesus said, Mr. Becky, Jesus said that there is a greater than Solomon here. You think Solomon's great. Jesus is that much greater. He's that much greater. There's an old ad campaign by a credit card company that would always end their commercials after saying, this costs so much, this costs so much, and this costs so much. But then it says, and this, that's priceless. There are some things, the credit card company says, there are some things that money cannot buy. But everything else, there's MasterCard. 
I want to list for you the things in closing that are priceless. That comes from the riches of our wealthy God. Having my sins forgiven and the stain of all my sin washed away in the waters of baptism. Being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Watching my kids put their faith in Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Going to bed with a totally clean conscience. Waking up to new mercy. Being able to call upon the name of Jesus as a child of God. Enjoying the fellowship of my church family. Knowing that people are praying for me. Having access to the word of God. Knowing that I have heaven to gain beyond the grave. Witnessing and sharing my testimony with someone who has not yet been born again and then having the privilege to see them filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in the name of Jesus. I'll tell you what's priceless. What's priceless is praying with someone like I prayed with Jackie last Sunday and witnessing with my own eyes and ears her filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't put a price tag on that. You can't buy that with money. And if, this, if these things are priceless, then guess what? The God who supplies them, it comes from his vault of treasure that this world cannot compare to. Our God is so rich in mercy, in grace, in love. He is rich in strength and power and wisdom. My God is rich. <laughs> Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Right where you're sitting, I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Hallelujah. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. His word says it. It is true. Our God is capable and able. I'm here to tell you, if I could simplify this message into this one real plain statement, God is able to meet any need in your life. If you need forgiveness of sins, he's able. If you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, he's able. If you need healing in your body, he's able. If you need peace in your mind, he's able. If you've got anxiety and stress that's keeping you up at night, he's able. Oh, hallelujah. He's able to raise the dead. He's able to cure cancer. He's able to pay the debt. He's able to wash away the sins. He's able. You see, for us to talk about and think about how rich our God is, We've got to move beyond the temporary. We've got to move beyond the material. 
Yes, I know for the sake of our earthly minds and earthly thinking, we've got to think about it in terms of gold and silver and monetary value and size and all of this. But listen, the truth of the matter is, is God's wealth far exceeds and it transcends all material possessions. In just a moment, I feel like we ought to bless the Lord. Like the Queen of the South came to bless Solomon, we are going to bless the Lord. We are going to bring him gifts as we have for the past previous 24 hours and even today in this service and song and offerings and tithes, we have brought him gifts. But with our voices right now, I want you to lift your voice right where you're sitting, right where you're at. I want you to begin to lift your voice and thank the Lord and love the Lord. Beginning right now, from the least to the greatest, from the guest to the saint, from the youngest to the eldest, everyone in between, I want you to begin to lift up your voice. And what you're going to do is you're going to help, help us build the throne right now. Come on, let's build that throne. Let's build that magnificent, marvelous throne in this room. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. I'm asking you not to ask for anything right now, but just to give him. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him blessing. Worship him right now in the beauty of holiness. If he's been good to you, if you're like that servant that's been forgiven of a $10 million debt, spiritually speaking, then give him glory. Build him a throne in this room for him to come and dwell in. We're not asking for anything just yet. We're just blessing the Lord. We're bringing gifts to the Lord. Like the Queen of Sheba brought a million dollars worth of gold. I wonder, I wonder if you could bring a million dollars worth of praise, a million dollars worth of worship from the deepest part of your soul, from the bottom of your heart. Cry out, I love you. I love you. I'm going to put down the mic for about 60 seconds and let's just worship him. Let's just love him deeply, 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 deeply with emotion, with heart. For he's more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart.
That's what Jesus is to me.